die allerletzte Chance. Der ist drin, ja! 4 zu 3! 4 zu 3! 4! Ich werd wahnsinnig! Ich werd wahnsinnig! Ich werd wahnsinnig! Wir gewinnen das Spiel! Wie geil ist das denn? Unfassbar! Hello all and welcome to episode 249 of The Yellow Pods. I'm your host, Stefan Butzko, and I'm joined by the one and only from Colorado, where it's, I've heard, already snowing. Hello, Matthias Zuk. Yes, hello. I am the one and literally only other one here on the <laughs> podcast today. Hello, Stefan. How are you? I'm doing uh, very well. Thank you. Um, although... It, it was a tricky day for me because I've uh, smashed the uh, cup of our coffee maker, uh, the, the big glass container, and I had to go to the city center and find a replacement, which didn't really go well. And I had to get a cheap one while I wait like two weeks for the replacement. I personally don't drink coffee, but uh, my wife does every day. So, um, yeah, not not the best day for me. A um, bit clumsy, but... <laughs> The positive is we now can talk about Borussia Dortmund, who are a lot of things currently, but I wouldn't say clumsy. And uh, I mean, it was an emphatic 4-3 win against Augsburg. But before we talk about that, dear Matthias, we have to talk about a very composed 3-0 win, as I predicted, against Monaco. Very uh, thankful for Marco Reus uh, being on point there with a the goal in stoppage time. So my prediction will come true. Um, if you remember anything, because that was Wednesday and this, uh, ages ago, <laughs> what, what's, uh, what is your general, yeah, remembrance or whatever of, of that 3-0 win against Monaco in the Champions League? I would have to say my, my greatest lasting impression of that match was of total relaxed, chill. I was never worried at any time that Dortmund were going to not just I wasn't worried Dortmund were going to lose I wasn't worried they were not going to win you know I, it, it just Monaco I felt didn't do much of anything they kind of replicated their domestic very bad form um, I think Dortmund I mean obviously Dortmund definitely deserved to win and it was kind of a If you compare it even statistically, statistically to the Augsburg match, a complete juxtaposition in the sense that I felt that, uh, Monaco let Dortmund play, whereas Augsburg tried very hard to not let Dortmund play. And the end result was that the significantly better team won. Yes, definitely. Um, I, I guess before we, we dive further in, um, There was news already before the game that uh, Christian Pulisic was out with a muscular injury and uh, uh, torn muscle fibers in his calf was, I think, the official communique. Um, he obviously is not going to play for the uh, United States this international break because of an injury. Um, I don't know if it's the same spot uh, that already kept him out for the last international break, including two Dortmund games around it. Um Real quick, do you think this is worrisome for Christian Pulisic? 
that he is maybe injury prone now this season. Maybe he has niggling injuries that never really go away. And if we talk about guys like Jaden Sancho and uh, Jakub Brun Larsen, do you think that uh, the blessing that Dortmund gives playing time to young players uh, can turn into a curse for Pulisic because he obviously has to fight for his position? So far, he has been an automatic starter when he was fit. But do you think that can change? Well, I mean, to, to the first point, as far as injury prone, I think it's way too early to, to necessarily give him that, uh, the, the Bajduba Roy stamp of demise when it comes to injuries. Uh, I think this is more, uh, wear and tear type stuff because over the last, Oh, I'd say two years, uh, Pulisic really has put a lot of miles on his tires and, It, he's still a young guy, so naturally at some point his body has enough. You know, he's always expected top performance, play 90 minutes, uh, top-notch guy for the United States, and then had to carry a lot of the load at Dortmund as well. But I think it's less critical now, and now you can actually give him more time. Um, like you said, Brun Larsen and Sancho add pressure to him, but I'd say at this point he is still the more complete, finished, or refined player of those three, uh, significantly more consistent than Brun Larsen. And, um, okay, he's a different type of player than Sancho. Uh, you know, he's, he's not quite the dribbling playmaker that Sancho is. He's a little bit more straightforward. So I think the fact that they're two different types of players, even though they tend to occupy sometimes the same position, helps both players. So I w I'm not overly concerned for Pulisic. I think when he's fit, he's going to start, uh, no question about it. Yeah, I agree. I think for, for all the players that want to have in, in that age bracket <laughs> and the buff, I, I think Pulisic is uh, certainly one of the first names on the on the team sheet, and um, yeah, I don't I don't think he is that injury prone, considering that um, he played the third most minutes last season behind Roman Bürki and uh, Socrates. So I don't think we can uh, talk about any you know injury proneness for him. Um, so yeah, I guess it's time to move on and. Uh, talk about Jakub Brünn-Larsen because he then turned the game around for Dortmund or another round. Dortmund were pretty much in control in the, in the first half. But uh, yet again, Favre made a substitution at halftime. Uh, Marius Wolf came off. I think he had an injury. Um, had a good chance in the 38th minute himself and forced uh, Diego Benaglio to a really good save who then came off injured. And then Brünn-Larsen came on and uh, I think six minutes into the second half... He scored the opener by Jaden Sancho assist. Matthias, um, is this Dortmund's big strength right now that uh, doesn't really matter how the first half is going? They can always make a million adjustments and, uh, yeah, prevail. Well, I'd say right now, uh, even though it's still a small sample size, you have to basically say that that's, that's the formula. That's the Lucien Favre formula at Dortmund. Go a little bit more conservative to start, um, kind of feel things out, see how things are going, and then kick it into overdrive when you 
want to or when you need to uh, with these types of impact subs. I mean, Dortmund have a scary deep bench, deeper than I actually thought because before the season started, I didn't necessarily count on Brun Larsen uh, to end up playing the way he has been playing and he didn't really know what to make of Paco Alcacer. He, 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 he had a good preseason. Yeah, but... We all thought he would start the first game. Yeah, but yeah, preseason's like preseason. Before the preseason or, or in general that, that it would be that composed. Correct. But, Carry on. Yeah, no, so this is Dortmund's strength. You know, they can change, they can adjust. Lucien Favre, compared to uh, maybe the last two managers Dortmund had, uh, is adept at making those changes, reading the game, and putting in the right players to make that change. Some people said, oh, he's gotten lucky with the subs. I, that, to me, sells Lucien Favre short. Now, I do wish we would maybe start the first 30 minutes, how we end the last 30 minutes of the last few matches. But at the end of the day, the results are there. And against Monaco, you didn't really have to change a ton to just get that that little bit of impetus. Like you said, Wolf came off with a, a little bit of a knock and Brun Larsen is, is a little bit more of a playmaker, whereas Wolf is more of that direct type player. So that made that change, that little tweak, whereas gegen, gegen, whereas against uh, Leverkusen and, and Augsburg, bigger changes, more dramatic changes were, were needed because the game could have, we, Tolman could have, could have and should have lost. Uh, you could even say in both those matches. Whereas Monaco, it never really felt like there was any issue with Dortmund possibly losing that match. So, yeah, it's it's great to have it. It's great to see. It's a depth that we've needed, um, at least going forward. My only concern is when it comes to our squad depth right now is obviously in the back. Yeah, I, I guess we can talk about that in the uh, Oxbook segment. Um, but for now, what I really liked... Um, was that Dortmund were so composed um, and, and very mature. Obviously, you have a lot of young players in there, but um, Witzel and Delaney, I thought, played really well. Um, Delaney certainly wasn't there for the Hollywood passes. I, I think most of the passes he had, he was playing backwards. And then Axel Witzel, um, I think, had just outstanding stats. I think he had a 100% pass completion on, or, or something like that again. And 100% tackles or so. He was, he was just amazing. I don't have the stats written down. Um, but I've, I've, uh, seen it a couple of times now. He really, um, yeah, is, is the, the guy in, in the middle who, who, who controls the tempo of the game. And, uh, especially in the Champions League, you just need that. Um, it's, it's a different competition. And even a side like Monaco, I think, can be dangerous, even though if they struggle domestically. And I thought, for example, that Benjamin Henry had a very good, uh, first half on the left side, um, with his pace. I, I think, uh, Jaden Sancho was caught out a couple of times and Lucas Piszczek also not the, uh, the, the fastest anymore. Nevertheless, Dortmund, I, I thought, did defended pretty well. Um, Zagadou again with a pretty good performance there. And, um, yeah, so that was really to me the outstanding fact that I think the expected goals of, of, uh, Monaco accumulated were like 0.6 or so afterwards or even lower now 0.62. And, um, that really tells you how controlled Dortmund were. I mean, yes, a 3-0 win is great, but you can win 3-0 and a lot, a lot of chances or you can win 3-0 and then don't allow anything. I don't think Roman Burki had a lot of things to do 
And that was down to how, how Dortmund played with a lot of patience. And yes, all the goals came in the second half, but that was, uh, I think by design that Dortmund didn't want to, you know, overwhelm the opponent with pressure right from the get go, but rather just wait and see how the game develops and, and, uh, find their groove at some point. And, uh, I don't know about you, Matthias, but at some point we can even talk whether that's a, a overall strategy that Dortmund, um, tried to, yeah to weigh the opponents in some sort of comfort and safety and later on then bring bring the big guns i don't i don't know if, if that's something deliberate but uh, it's ha it happens so often now that it's it's a valid question i think do you think that you know with the substitutions or the the lineup that favre is deliberate about that I think it, it it definitely plays into his calculation because if Dortmund score a couple of goals early, then all's good. You don't have to really kick it up a gear. Um, Dortmund are not losing steam. That's one thing. You know, they're not they're not getting tired late in matches. They're not really making those massive mistakes that come with fatigue. Instead, you know, they play at an even pace in relative control and uh, relative ease. And then when they have to, they kick it up a notch. Uh, it's, it's not passive like it was, say, under Peter Stuga. And it wasn't as crazy all guns blazing for the first 30, 40 minutes as Peter Bosch. And then everybody falling to pieces late because they have nothing left. I think Favre has that great balance, almost like a, of those two, but in a more positive way. Um, conserving early. And then when you need to kicking up, kicking it up a notch because of the substitution, the depth that you have. My question, of course, is if you have uh, Paco Alcacer start these matches more, which we assume he will, will some of that impact possibly wane because you're, you're bringing Maximilian Philip off the bench, who is not the same player. He's more direct. Uh, or at that point, does it even matter because Paco's already scored 10 goals in 40 minutes? Because that's apparently his strike rate these days. <laughs> yeah, who knows? I, I mean, uh, in, in the Champions League game, he actually missed a penalty um, off the bar and then uh, rectified that, uh, I think, four or three minutes later with a really, really good uh, goal where he ran at the keeper and then... Uh, struck past two defenders who were trying to have this last ditch goal line clearance which then didn't materialize um i i thought over the whole 90 minutes and in, in alcasa's case um we actually saw his his intelligence the way he moves uh and and uh even when Dortmund aren't a threat as they were in, in the first half for the most part, um, still he makes such a lot of intelligent runs and such a lot of, uh, yeah, just clever flicks. I, I think it's fair to say if we talk about him later, um, that, that he's, um, yeah, maybe a better transfer than, uh, Dortmund had originally wanted, but, uh, more on that later, I guess. Um, a couple of, of things I wanted to, to say on, on Brun Larsen is that, um, the way he scored the first one, the, the run he made and Jaden Sancho then playing the ball perfectly, um, was, was quite good. And obviously this kid is 20 and had the composure to, to stick the goal away as he did in the one on one. And, um, then in the 92nd minute, Brun Larsen again gets a very good ball from from Diallo who played left back and and then uh dances around the opponent like two or three times and has the 
awareness to 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 find Marco Reus on the far post and then slots home. Um, but this is I exactly what I'm talking about when when we talk about Borussia Dortmund and their attacking acumen these days. It's that I see a lot of intelligent intelligence there, a lot of footballing IQ. Um, it's it's not just about technique for them or and anything else I, I think that the runs they make the awareness they have how often the the heads are up and and looking for teammates it's it's just quite amazing how how that is working out for them right now um not everything can be done to automatism um it's just also to the into intuition i guess of of the players and how intelligent they are and uh, marco royce of course um after having a little dip in form and playing out of his uh, favorite position now is the spec where he feels the most comfortable. And I, I think he is his, uh, yeah, also the perfect example for a player that's just really, really witty with, uh, his runs and, and whatnot. And right now, be it Sancho, be it Brun Larsen, it doesn't really matter. I think Marius Wolf is maybe the only one who, who falls off the cliff a little bit in that regard. But otherwise, the, the footballing intelligence is just so amazing that. This makes it really hard for opponents to, to mark all these players. You know, we can always talk about that they lack physicality. Uh, Alcasa, for example, is certainly not like Batshuayi or so, but nevertheless, they, they just, uh, they're just too elusive for, for defenses. And, uh, that is why they score so many goals. And especially when you can, uh, throw on the afterburner <laughs> in the, uh, final 20 minutes and you outpace the tired defense, then, uh, yeah you will always score a lot of goals. And I don't know about you, Matthias, but I'm I'm really glad now that Dortmund, after struggling to create much in the in first five, six, seven games or so, now finally are, are really clicking into gear and uh, the attack, so to speak, has awoken. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, they're, the amount of goals that they've scored in the last few weeks has been fantastic to watch. And it... You know, I mean, no, I know you referenced uh, Bachuai and, and, you know, you also have to look back at Obama Young. I think Paco Alcacer is the perfect striker for what Lucien Favre wants to do because, uh, in the press conference after the Augsburg match, when he was asked about Götze and so on, you know, he, he referenced the nine and a half position or false nine or, uh, Fakaptitzin or whatever we want to call it that position in the hole behind the striker. And and when you play that way, having a big burly direct or whatever type striker doesn't necessarily work. With Paco Alcacer up there, and then whether it's Royce or Götze or Kagawa or you name it, behind him, just the movement. And then you throw in Sancho and Pulisic and Brun Larsen around them. It just creates, and you see it, it creates so much confusion and havoc for the opposition defense to deal with. It will be interesting to see when they play against, uh, I'd say, teams that come closer in quality to match up toe for toe, especially defensively. Now, not taking anything away from Augsburg, who played very, very well. We're going to talk about that in a minute. But that, that just extremely fluid attack, 
Um, I keep on hearing it that Dortmund is one of the most entertaining and fun sides to watch right now. Not yeah, just in Germany, we but would in have, Nothing we would have heard two weeks ago or three no, weeks ago. No, no, not at all. Or before the season because we all didn't quite know. Or the Brugge match being probably the best example where everyone, oh, look, Stuttgart is back. Well, no, I think Stuttgart died that night, thankfully. Um, and it's, it's fun to watch. It's, you're excited about a Dortmund match. Yeah, and and what struck me after the game um, is is how how the players really responded to uh, and and talked about Lucien Favre. Um, Marco Reus was asked whether he was surprised that Dortmund are doing so well, that they're top of the league and in, 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 in Group A, also leading now ahead of uh, Atletico on, on goal difference. And he said, uh, "I know what our coach can do and what his philosophy is, so I'm not surprised that we're doing so well." Uh, yada yada, saying that there's still a lot of work ahead but currently there's a lot of uh, momentum on their side and uh, Akanji I, I think said it's it's down to tactical adjustments uh, the coach is making especially at halftime you can always prepare for an opponent before the match but you never really know what you will be confronted with the adjustments are helping us big time and I think Brun Larsen then said I'm, I'm just quoting here from my own ESPN story <laughs> <laughs> but you know if i have it in front of me uh, he, he said the coach is trying to get the best out of us he's obsessed with every detail i enjoy it a lot i find it very very good and i'm looking forward to every training because i know i will be better a better player when i get home afterwards so especially after that monaco game uh, a lot of praise for lucien favre um i don't even think i, I wrote everything down the player said just because i have to be limited in my words um but um, this is actually a big talking point I wanted to talk with you about before we move on to the next game. And that is um, that I think the players, the entire team has very much bought into the philosophy and the approach of Lucien Favre. And if we think back um, to Peter Bosch, for example, that there were all these stories about Players like Aubameyang, players like Julian Weigel or Socrates, none of them really bought into the uh, philosophy of Peter Bosch. And I think ultimately that was the downfall of the Dutchman because if you play such a high and aggressive pressing, everything needs to be 100% perfect or it will fall apart. And ultimately, that's exactly what happened. Now, we're at a different time and, and players are 100% so much behind the coach. Do you think that this will carry Dortmund throughout the season that sense of togetherness but also just hanging on to the lips of, of what your coach is saying I think so I, I mean I feel a little bit bad for Peter Bosch I mean obviously I was always kind of a Bosch apologist I feel like he would be more successful with the squad Dortmund have now than what he got back then uh, simply because of some of the players you mentioned and their own things they were doing you know Socrates being Socrates in my opinion. It was a dysfunctional team. It was just, yeah, and Obama Young didn't help. And obviously, you had the Dembele thing before the season started and so on. But, you know, still, you're right. When you're asking a collective unit to play in a collective way, because otherwise you will fail and they don't buy into it or they have their own egos playing into it, then, then that's what happens. And I think with Peter Stuga, it was just a matter of, you know, some of the more, like you said, um, players with high footballing IQ, I'm not going to say they felt insulted by the style that Peter Stuga wanted from them, but they definitely 
Okay. Let me try to explain this in a way that makes sense. When you have... Oh, I mean, it's, it's not it's like inspiring. No, it's like when you have kids. If you have kids in school that are smart, but they are not being challenged by their teacher, they become unruly and destructive. And that is essentially... Uh, what happened with Dortmund last season, specifically under Stuga. Um, and, and it's almost like the Dortmund players had a break and now got back to a style that, or at least a coaching style, maybe a little bit more like t- under Thomas Tuchel, even though Favre seems to maybe be a little bit more of a player manager than Tuchel, even though PSG players love Tuchel all of a sudden. Um, I, I think that really, really helps. And, People are saying, well, it's still early in the season. Wait until a crisis happens. See what happens then. But we've already had the crises. I mean, you look at Leverkusen. You look at Augsburg. Those are matches. I 100% guarantee last season Dortmund would have lost. And they would have lost badly. I think they they would have gone down 4-2 instead of winning 4-2. They probably would have lost 4-2 or 4-1 to Leverkusen. Against uh, um, Augsburg, it would have been a 2-0 or a 3-1. It would have looked really bad because they would just give up. That's where they were mentally last season. And this team is not that. And also there are a lot of new players in there, a lot of young, brash, arrogant players, a player like Paco Acasa who needs who wants to prove something to Barcelona. Um, and to himself. And obviously he's in the Spain team now. So he's proven a lot already. So, and, and then Witzel, because, you know, he's 29 years old and people are like, Oh, I don't know. A player that age, he played in China and Russia. Is he really that good? Yeah. He's really that damn good. And I'm almost happy he never played for one of the major teams in Europe because Dortmund never could have afforded him. So it's a completely different side from a mentality standpoint. And you never get the feeling that they give up, never give up. I mean, after coming back against Augsburg, getting the Götze goal, which was, you know, obviously we're going to talk about that in a minute, but then Augsburg getting the equalizer and then, you know, Paco Acasa going there and having the cajones to go, yeah, and you saw it in his face. He was like, yeah, I'm going to take this. I'm going to shoot it. I'm going to score. I mean, it was almost like he had it in his face. They didn't give up. No heads hanging. They just kept on fighting. And it reminded me a lot of the Dortmund side under Klopp when they had that run in the Champions League when they were down to Malaga or whatever and just didn't give up. And that's great to see. More than anything else, I love seeing that. All right, then I, I guess we can we can move on to the Augsburg match. I just really wanted to make the point about players buying into Favre's coaching style or or whatever and uh, basically paint the contrast to how that wasn't really there last season but um yeah let's move on to the Augsburg match and you already said that um Dortmund this season definitely did face a lot of adverse adversary I mean just think of the very first game the cup match against Kreuter Fürth where they basically scored twice in in, in uh, stoppage time, once in the stoppage time of regular time, and then uh, in the uh, stoppage time of extra time. This was like the very first uh, moment for them uh, where things could have gone real bad, real fast, because, you know, uh, an exit in the very first cup round, even though if it was the toughest draw, is is never good for a team of Borussia Dortmund's uh, profile but uh you know it, it already made such a big difference in, in their mentality and um yes admittedly Borussia Dortmund did have a lot of luck 
this season already. I mean, Belfodil, for example, could have scored for Hoffenheim at stoppage time and, and Augsburg had enough chances to, to score even four or five goals by Leverkusen couldn't finish them off when they were 2-0 ahead and stuff like that. But I don't think it's mutually exclusive. Uh, you can have luck and a big mentality, as, as you just said. And, um, I thought the, the Augsburg game was, was really interesting because Dortmund were not only battling a really feisty Augsburg side, but also just tired legs. I mean, they played, what, seven games and then 22 days or so. Obviously, you're going to be tired. And uh, Michael Sock after the game said also that uh, there were a couple of players who had injuries and the coach couldn't uh, rotate as much as, as he uh, would have liked to. So, um yeah, a couple of players obviously tired. Alcazar couldn't start, for example, just because he didn't play a lot of minutes last season and uh, has to get back into rhythm. So, um, yeah, it was a difficult start. Borussia Dortmund with the uh, best chance, I want to say, in the first half, Marco Reus at the end of it after Jaden Sancho, um, yeah, blasts pass, who, who was it, Hinteregger or so, on the right side. And, yeah, Reus really should have put that away. But then you concede that first goal. Um, Matthias, the, the first half was interesting. Because Augsburg did a lot of things well. What do you think Augsburg did so well that uh, they were, in at least in my view, the uh, deserved leaders after 45 minutes? Yeah, I think I also said that. You know, I mean, probably on the statistical side of things, Dortmund were, were the better side, but on the actual run of play, it wasn't an undeserved lead for Augsburg. Uh, they were very uncomfortable for Dortmund. They fouled a lot. They played very physically. <laughs> Let's call it that. Uh, there was a comment on the English feed that they that they didn't play unfair or dirty. They just played hard. Well, uh, you know, you can you can discuss that when you look at the statistics of it. But they made life very uncomfortable for Dortmund, also because of the way that they they played. I mean, they didn't allow the central midfield of Dortmund to control the match in the first half to the degree that they had been because a they disrupted. Witzelenbeigel a lot. And B, they circumvented the midfield by kicking a lot of long balls into the channels, putting pressure on the center backs and the fullbacks. It seemed to me they were trying to target Diallo a little bit more than Hakimi, just because Hakimi's got more speed and Diallo is not a natural left back. Um, and that paid dividends. And of course, you know, you have a set piece and things get ugly and they... They strive for getting set pieces. You know, it's they're they're the Schalke of the South in Germany in that sense. You know, they look. <laughs> wow, what an insight! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sorry, Augsburg, I didn't mean that. But no, in the sense of play physical, play sound defense, play long ball, play set pieces. Uh, Finn Bogason, the the Icelandic striker, feels at home in that system, given that's how Iceland tend to play. Um, and it's very, very effective. And it was very effective. They punched Dortmund in the mouth. And it took Dortmund a long time to recover from that. The nice thing, though, you saw was Dortmund didn't panic. I dev never got a sense of panic at any time. And yeah, that, all, all credit to Augsburg. All credit to Augsburg. They could have won. They probably should have won. They at least deserved a draw, given how well they played. And you could just see when that goal went in. First, when the Götze goal went in. But then when 
Paco's goal went in with the last kick of the game. Manuel Baum looked like he wanted to throw up. And I felt really bad because he's Manuel Baum, Baum for me is probably a I would consider him a very underrated coach and tactician because Augsburg play the Augsburg way because they kind of have to. He's pragmatic in that way, but it's not always the quite so negative style that you would associate with Schalke, at least last season and this season. So I think all credit also to Manuel Baum having a game plan, executing it and executing it well. Yeah, definitely. I, I thought that uh, men marking Dortmund for a lot of uh, times was was really clever and also disrupting the play with a lot of, uh, you know, small little fouls or pushes was was good and what what you could see also Augsburg were very just they were just present because of the way they positioned uh, you know for example I always when I close my eyes I still see uh, Rani Kadira the, the center back uh, just running at full speed at Alcasa or, or Maximilian Philipp or so um, because when even the center backs have pressing traps and, and pressure you with full speed runs that, that tells you a lot of things and Dortmund weren't as sharp as they were against Monaco and Augsburg really punished them for that. Maybe other teams wouldn't have as much as ex Augsburg did, but every little pass that was just a millimeter too far or too wide or whatever, there was an Augsburg player who either got a leg in or won the ball and, and Dortmund had to run backwards a lot. And that, you know, as you said, they, they punched Dortmund in the mouth. And I, I just, I just think it, it was the, the right way to go. Now, in the end, we can talk about, um, them having to, ta to pay tribute to that because of the, the substitutions they have to make. Daniel Bayer, for example, had to go off because he was, uh, you know, in danger to have a second yellow and, um, stuff like that obviously then affects your own, um, yeah, team play and, Augsburg certainly didn't get better with the substitutions they have to do, and then Dortmund obviously did. Um, but a couple of talking points in the first half. Um, I think after 12 or 15 minutes or so, Dan Axel Zagadou put his legs through Gregorich. Um, to me, that was a penalty. I was surprised the VAR didn't uh, intervene there. Do you agree, or do you think that's something that's not a 100% wrong call? Um, I mean, I've seen more clear cut things. Um, I feel like, honestly, I don't really care because the go ahead goal that Augsburg scored should have been overturned by VAR on two accounts. So things balance each other out and any Augsburg fan crying about not getting a penalty there is obviously not crying about the fact that they scored a goal that shouldn't have stood. So I'm, I'm yeah, not really bothered. Yeah, the push on Marco Royce by Andre Hahn was pretty blatant. That yeah. was also exactly yeah. what I was getting at. Next. Yeah, yeah. It's the like you always say in football. They always say these things tend to cancel each other out over the course of a season. In this case, it canceled each other out in the course of what ten, fifteen minutes. Yeah, pretty much. I I think like five five or seven minutes were were between the penalty claim and and uh, Augsburg's uh, go ahead goal. They scored in the 22nd minute or so. And um, it also wasn't like Dortmund were completely bad in this game. Um, so yeah, while I wouldn't say that Augsburg had a undeserved, undeserved lead or anything, uh, I, I don't know. Dortmund weren't also in entirely, uh, terrible or horrible, but yeah, that, that goal also, I think that the free kick 
also leading to that goal was a bit questionable because it was like an off the ball call that wasn't really all that relevant to me but whatever Dortmund prevails and in, in in what a way so um I guess we can just skip ahead to the to the 67 uh, 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 62nd minute um and that's where we saw really how great Axel Witzel is um he as I, as I said before um was most of the time man marked by either Kayubi or um the other guy whose name I can't think of right now um but nevertheless um he managed to yeah well Daniel Bayer I think it was but nevertheless he um he managed to have this one play where he just anticipates a pass jumps between two Augsburg's players wins the ball and then has the eye the vision the pace the technique to find Jaden Sancho in the you know just slotting it between the the one center back and and, and their fullback to feed Jaden Sancho that was to me one of the best plays he has done this season and uh, quite amazing so obviously then a great ball to Jaden Sancho and Alcasa who has left two defenders in the dust and then uh, yeah has a very uh, placed tap in but yeah to me that was a really good equalizer um After that, did you think that, that Augsburg were going to come back or did you think that um, Dortmund were going to turn the screw then? I did not expect Augsburg to come back after that, to be perfectly honest. I thought that was, you know, the typical situation where the feisty other smaller club put up a good fight and then gave up the the equalizer and then things just fall apart, especially because they were playing at such a high level of intensity all match long. I was expecting them to get more and more tired, which I guess they got a little bit um, because obviously there was a mental lapse in, in uh, if, if you look at the winning goal, essentially how that all happened. But granted from an, from someone who got subbed in, so he wasn't tired. Never mind. Uh, so much for that theory. But the, They played better than I expected. I thought that was it. They're going to capitulate and Dortmund are going to run over them. And that didn't happen, which made for a much more exciting match. <laughs> yeah, it certainly did. It certainly did. I mean, um, I want to say that uh, Philip's goal in the uh, 71st minute was a little bit lucky because I don't think that um, Andre Hahn, I think it was um, intended to play the ball to Max as, as he did there. But nevertheless... Um, It, it was a big test, and in in between that, I think, or or no, right after halftime, actually, Augsburg had a chance to make it two 0 with a chance of uh, Holo Holo, and uh, it was like a double chance. But he had like a really really good save there, and then Finn Bogason hits the uh, hits the post at some point. So there were certainly a lot of chances where where Augsburg could have. Um, yeah, put down more of a marker and made it much tougher for Dortmund, but then. Alcasa scores off a, off a free kick um, with uh, Guerrero just dinking it to him and, and the volley. Um, that's just another goal um, where you wonder why Augsburg couldn't defend that because from a side like them, as you just ex <laughs> explained, calling them the Schalke of the South, you would expect that they would be aware. But no, Guerrero and Alcasa um, so much more aware and, and quicker in execution and the volley was just perfect and then 
Um, yeah, that that big moment uh, of of Mario Götze, Matthias. Um, how did you experience that? I can tell you that Mario Götze already got a very loud cheer when he came on. But um, yeah. Well, I, it, you know, it's there are certain stories that only sports rights and and people's you know and, and if you say if you'd say put it in a movie or a tv show like, oh it's corny that would never happen but sports does it over and over and over again and it was almost it, it was perfect i mean like you said the big cheer that gets a guy when they announced him coming in and then that goal it's just and especially and, and when you saw how much his teammates celebrated with him and enjoyed they realized the pressure he's been under the scrutiny he's been under um created by the media landscape to an unjust degree in my opinion uh not helped by lucien favre to a certain degree but uh there are extenuating circumstances there and it's just you could tell when he scored and the joy he felt that it was a huge relief for him, a huge relief. I mean, when I hear commentators uh, like we had here in Fox or the the English language feed, we're like, well, maybe there's still a glimmer of the talent from the World Cup. It's like, okay, he's not, he hasn't forgotten how to play. He's just been sick. You know, let's lay off him a little bit. And obviously the talent is still there and you saw it in the goal. Uh, that was absolutely fantastic. And that was, it was like that, 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 that he scored the goal that really, honestly, it should have been the winner. That would have, the only thing that would have made it better if he would have scored the winner. And obviously we all thought, I know I thought that was the winner, but uh, it was not. Yeah, the the great thing is is also just the run he made. I mean, he he ran lateral into the box, then then runs out of the box, and then back into the box, and uh, you know, basically almost half recreating the uh, flag of the Soviet Union there. <laughs> and Hakimi obviously played a really great ball to Götze, but as as you just said, the the, the finish takes so much control. I, I think he he the first touch basically. Put it around the uh, around the keeper because um, Luto was leaving his goal and he was uh, putting the ball ar around that run to create another angle and then with a finish with the other foot I think the right foot then put it in a far corner I think it was that that just takes so much so much uh, skill to do and and uh, was just amazing and uh, the celebration. He, he then put on display with, uh, <laughs> that was, that was also simply uh, cool. I, I, I thought that the way he celebrated, oh, sure. as, as, sure. as you said, I mean, the, 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 the stadium then, the, the roof flew completely off. I mean, Nobby Dicker just couldn't, you know, not cheer Marigots, I think three or four times or so. It, it was just crazy. And, and as you said, Everyone really thought that Dortmund now had won it. And then Gregoritsch scores off a set piece in the 87th minute. And I want to say Roman Bürki looked a little bit awkward there. And maybe at this point we can talk about uh, Abdou Diallo. I, I didn't think he had his best game at left back. I, I thought at Mainz he certainly had better games than the, the one against Monaco too. Um, before we talk about the grand finale, um, a little re real quick about Dortmund's backline again with uh, Hakimi, Akanji, Zagadou and Diallo. Um, I don't know if, if, uh, I, 
I'm, co- I'm let, let's put it this way. Let's, let's put it in, in a positive way. I think that Diallo is uh, a much better upgrade as a left back alternative than uh, Guerrero is. And I also think that uh, he's definitely better than Tolian. And, uh, with that, Dortmund, if they miss both Pischek and Schmelzer, like uh, they did against Augsburg, um, you don't have to worry as much. Hakimi certainly, um, is a really good right back and, uh, he offers a lot of different talent and i gotta say the development of of uh, dan axel zagadu has blown me away i mean yes he had a couple of of mistakes here and there but uh, how he can just dance around opponents how he walks and, and moves forward with the ball how secure he is now it's just a completely different player to the way he was and, I, and we had a little chat about that earlier and it's it's quite interesting that Lucien Favre basically has managed to to improve every young player on his team except uh, <coughs> Alex Isak. Yeah, I know we we were messaging back and forth on WhatsApp. I, I think yesterday or whatever, and and I also you know said you know who, Isak is is just a I don't even know what to think there anymore, and and I think I'm not the only one. But with Zaga, do I agree that he's significantly better than last season? Uh, he's still a little raw, in my opinion. He makes some positional errors that drive me nuts that I don't think Diallo would make. Um, I think when Schmelza is fit, you'd probably see Schmelza on the left and Diallo and Akanji paired up centrally and Pishek or Hakimi on the right. Um, I actually, there was one instance with Hakimi, I don't know what minute of the match it was, but he was caught out of position or possession further up the pitch and he sprinted all the way back and made the interception. I think it went out for, for a corner kick, but, and the, the crowd cheered. They, they, they saw and recognized the effort from the young kid to yeah, do that. That might have just been the one in the 87th minute or so where uh, then the Augsburg scored the equalizer. So, but right around there. Yeah. But, but, it's just the effort that he puts in there. Obviously, Pishek always puts in that effort, but his legs are a little bit older. Uh, so, uh, I don't know if he would have, he would have caught that, but Zagadou, I think another good season with good coaching that he now has. Um, we see the glimpses and maybe more than just glimpses of the incredibly good center back he can become. And just think about the fact that, you know, we always talked about how great it was in the past when it was Hummels and Zubotic. And then Hummels and Socrates, where you had kind of the the no-nonsense defender next to the playmaking defender in Hummels. Well, when you put in Diallo and Akanji and Zagadou, and they've got, you know, they're all clicking and they're more developed because they're all still very, very young. You've got the combination of the Subotic and Hummels in one player three times over. And I think Zagadou probably has the best passing range out of the three. Um, but they can all do all of that. And that's wonderful to see. Now, the, the cross that Diallo allowed to happen against him was very frustrating because it never should have happened. Never, ever, ever should have happened. And I don't know if a more trained left back like Schmelza, if that would have happened to him or not. We, we won't know. Um, I assume probably not, but that, that was a little frustrating to see. 
Yeah, certainly. But but overall, I think Diallo is also offering a, a lot of uh, moves that, that Schmelzer doesn't on the left side. I think there's a little bit upside to him just because he can't dribble. And especially in, in the game against Monaco, we've seen that, that he sometimes, especially in the first half, when not much else was, was going, that he just took the ball and um, run it two or three players. Um, so that's certainly something that Marcel Schmelzer can't do in, 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 in the same way. But yeah. I would agree with you that uh, Diallo and Akanji, at least in my book, is the best centre-back pairing Dortmund have right now. But um, it's also very reassuring that um, Ömer Toprak, that he's injured, is obviously not reassuring. But if he's injured, that you can bring on Zagaduba now and you don't have to fear that he's going to do something absolutely crazy, um, as he did a couple of times last season. And uh, yeah, the way he now builds the play... Just makes it so much harder for an opponent because Akanji is a, is a very good builder player too. And if we talk about um, Augsburg's man marking, I think both Akanji and Zagadu absolutely killed it in the second half when they what we call in German andribeln when they just took the ball and ran at opponents and and uh, basically forced them to move toward them and then either passed in in the space that opened up or or just you know, ran even further with the ball. Um, and this is just such a big weapon against any team that wants to play like Augsburg, and especially in the latter stages, you will create um, scoring opportunities with that, um, especially if, if you have a then follow-up with a clever pass. And I, I think, be it against a team like Augsburg or any big side in the Champions League, with, with these moves, you can... Um, yeah, you can uh, really cause a lot of danger because tactically it's it's such a headache when the center back moves up. And if you have two different ones who can do that, it's not like you can design the play so much that you can prevent both center backs from doing exactly that. So I think going forward, Dortmund will uh, yeah have a, a big tactical weapon either way, be it Zagadu, Akanji or, or Diallo playing there, as you just said. And that in itself is, is quite an achievement and we have to praise the um, scouting department and Michel Zorg for for yeah, building that backline because that I think will be the backbone of successful Dortmund even though they just conceded three um, goals against Augsburg and defensively overall it wasn't the best game but that's not always down to the backline that might have also just been down to uh, having a player like Julian Weigel in midfield who doesn't offer the same cover like let's say uh, some some guy like um, Delaney or so just uh, not happening but um, what I also like is that when center backs move forward that Delaney or Witzel or whoever then move into the center back position and, and actually give a little bit more security so everything is is always um, trying to keep the balance and and that's also important and something that Lucien Favre was also pretty frustrated with after the game because he didn't feel that Dortmund had the perfect balance going forward because they were a little bit top heavy but you know we had a really fun game out of that and now um, Matthias it's it's time to talk about the last ten minutes or so of the game. First, obviously, that gets a goal. Then Gregoric comes back, and and uh, Alcasa. What you already said, you we're already talking about belief, but um, it's not all just belief. As you said, Dortmund didn't panic 
how how did you view Dortmund as they were looking for that really late winner in the last seven eight minutes after conceding a third? How did you think they uh, behaved, and how did you see Mario Götze and Guerrero play their part in that? Um, well, I mean, it it was interesting in the sense of you went from high to low to high, and obviously Augsburg supporters probably slightly the other way around. Um, it was, it, but it still wasn't hectic. It didn't feel hectic. It didn't feel panicked, obviously, because it's a league match. Okay. So we, you know, get one point out of a match where we came from behind. You know, it's not the end of the world. Uh, but it just, the, the whole situation when, <laughs> when, when the free kick happened, which never should have happened because it was a bad choice to, you know, make that foul. Uh, I, I don't know why. There was just this weird feeling of, hmm, I wonder if something will happen. I didn't expect a direct free kick, I'll be honest. I expected something lobbed in. Um, but then, of course, afterwards, you see the reverse angle, and Paco Alcacer is just the, the look on his face, and he just kind of does this, you know, I, I guess with his lips or his face, kind of saying, you know, I'll, I'm doing this, I'm taking this. And it reminds me of uh, Novak Djokovic. He had, I want to say it was the French Open once against Federer and Federer was winning and everybody was booing Djokovic and he just kind of was nodding his head and, and almost like, okay, well, here we go. And he ended up winning in straight sets from there on. And I got that same sense from Paco Alcacer when he just kind of like, I'm going to take this and I'm going to score is what it, when you saw the reverse angle of his face, there was just no doubt. There was no doubt. He was significantly helped by the fact that the former, I think he played for Bochum, uh, Lute, the keeper, took that anticipatory step to the right just just prior. So he was basically completely out of position and couldn't have reacted because I think he, just like I and probably most people, expected a crossed free kick and not a direct free kick. And that that helped because it's not like it was in the top corner, completely unsavable. Had Luta stayed where he was and actually cheated a little bit to the left, it probably would have been a relatively comfortable save, to be honest. Yeah, I agree with you. When, what I also liked is that I think Rani Kedira, he was the uh, the guy on the far right in the door, uh, in the Augsburg ball, uh, if you look at it from uh, Alcázar's point of view. And because Rafael Guerrero moved up the field a little bit, he when, when Alcázar took the shot, he actually left the wall because he probably thought he needed to cover Guerrero because he could have made that run into the box as well. And, and exactly where... Kidira would have been and his head would have been had he jumped up um, this is exactly where the ball went I, I think uh, that um, Augsburg nearly cleared it and uh, so yeah it's obviously a game of margins but boy what a freaking strike and I don't even remember the last time Dortmund hit a clean direct free kick and scored especially on the Bundesliga that must have been at least two seasons ago because there wasn't one last season so yeah, that's just another quality and um, something I can maybe talk a little bit better about than than you because I was in the stadium is that that transformation really um, between the team and the fans. And I want to say that Borussia Dortmund have managed to turn the belief 
of fans around um, or turn hope into belief. Because after the 3-3, it was so loud in the stadium. It was just a deafening noise. You know, it's always nice and way when the yellow wall makes noise, but the entire stadium, nobody was on their seats and everyone knew that this wasn't, that wasn't it. Everyone had this belief. I, I, I felt that Dortmund were very much capable of, of a winner and the way the fans urged the team on is something that this team earned itself in the last few weeks, also with the comeback against Leverkusen, but overall. And uh, we talked a lot about things, you know, going into the season and uh, Dortmund trying to repair that bond with the fans. And I, I think they have re rebuilt a lot of credit with the Dortmund fans. And in the stadium, the the atmosphere was absolutely blistering. And I don't remember a game last season that was as loud. Maybe maybe after the f being funneled up against Schalke, but otherwise I don't remember something that uh, euphoric. And I, I want to emphasize and underscore that it was already so amazing before they scored the winner. Uh, obviously, it was absolute mayhem and pandemonium afterwards, but also beforehand. And this is something um, that has changed a lot and... I think is going to be such a big gain for Dortmund. Um, Sebastian Kehl after the Leverkusen game already told me that, um, you know, Dortmund trying to rebuild the, the, the bond with the fans, you know, it's also about a little bit of, you know, about a couple of details. For example, now before every, uh, game, the, the, uh, team will turn around and, and applaud the fans, you know, Just before kickoff, they did that in Leverkusen. They did that now, and uh, that already sort of sparks. You know, it's it's just a tiny thing, but I think it matters. Um, you have to show the fans in the sense that they matter, and Dortmund have recognized that and and turned just a couple of things around. And just to have this atmosphere in the, in this great stadium so loud is um very special. And I think I don't know about you, Matthias, but I think this is the sort of game that's uh will only bring them so much further in, in, in uh, games to come because now finally I feel that the Westfalen Stadion is a fortress again. Well, I, I have to agree there. I mean, the, the negative trend already started in, in Tuchel's second season. I would say last season the atmosphere was toxic at times. Um, it, it always bothered me. I know I had spoken about it on the podcast and, and on Twitter and also privately that, you know, it... Uh, Borussia Dortmund bashing became cool on Twitter or by Dortmund supporters and, and just laughing at the players and the coaches and all that kind of stuff. And that really, really bothered me, uh, because I don't, I don't personally, I'm not wired that way, but I feel that those voices, along with the people that always support the club, even if you're critical, but you're not bashing the club, um, That, like you said, those little gestures and then, of course, the performances and not giving up. Because if there's one thing in, in Westfalen and then obviously in the Ruhrgebiet that people are known for is a, a strong work ethic, not giving up, doing the job all the way to the end and not going halfway at some point. And I, that, that old school mentality, if it were, still persists. Uh, even in younger generations, and especially when it comes to football. And the, the team right now is 
doing that again, you know, as as they did so well under Jürgen Klopp, kind of lost a little bit under Tuchel, uh, and then completely lost it last season. I think that's coming back. I don't know if it's fully there yet, but this definitely galvanizes the the supporter base without a doubt. Yeah, it's 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 just such a big plus for you if 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 things aren't going your way your way that that the crowd then get gets in that much and gives you that push over the finish line you know it's it's hard to measure but i i, I think it it certainly helps but on the flip side it's also kudos to the team that they kept their composure because i thought the way they played um looking for a winner wasn't the good old brechstange where you just punted it forward and hope for the best I still thought the way they created triangles and, and, um, you know, opened space on the wings for, for a couple of crosses or whatever, um, was, uh, pretty, pretty well done. And I want to say, um, that Mario Götze in the, I guess, like 18 or, or almost 20 minute run he had out there, um, did a lot of great things because he for once wasn't playing as a number nine or a false nine or whatever as in, in previous games. And all of a sudden you can see him and his uh, full footballing intelligence just uh, pop up and he popped up on literally every spot on the, on the field and, and created spaces for his teammates, created this passing outlet and overall just, you know, with his technique made plays happen that otherwise wouldn't have been. So yes, kudos to... Um, Götze for, for doing that after a lot of pressure, a lot of criticism, you know, being a constant topic in the media, then to come on and, and show how things are done. That's quite amazing. And, um, obviously kudos to Favre for yet again subbing on players and, uh, having the, the, the nose for, for the right players at the right time that then ultimately win the game. And I think it's, it's an, amazing statistic that Dortmund now in all competitions have uh, 12 goals scored by substitutes and nine assists provided by substitutes and uh, even more so that the leading scorer in the Bundesliga is now Paco Alcázar with six goals and 81 minutes played and Jaden Sancho with six assists and 240 minutes played so um, that's quite an anomaly I would I want to say um, when you dominate or, or two players dominate these, these scorer lists and uh, don't even play full time. That also just says a lot about how much of a difference Dortmund have made off the bench so far this season. And, um, yeah, Alcasa obviously a massive, massive boost that he scored a hat trick and was very close to a hat trick against Leverkusen also tells us a lot of things. And now I think Dortmund have to find a striker maybe already in winter that, uh, can be there just to take some workload off him because I don't think he can play 90 minutes every game. Yeah, I'll, I'll totally agree with you on that account for sure. You know, there, there needs to be something there because if we're going to talk about something negative, it's going to be the fact that Maximilian Philipp is not a striker. And as good as he was in his first season last season, I feel that, uh, since his, his longer term injury that he had, he just hasn't been the same player and he just seems out of place and uncomfortable up top. And obviously, because he is. <laughs> because he is. And obviously, there are issues with Isak that I don't know what the problem is there. So yeah, getting getting another striker uh, would be great. And I have to say that um, if the strike rate continues for 
Senor Paco, then uh, the amount of money that Dortmund are going to have to pay for him in today's market is a freaking steal. Yeah, I already said that when when the transfer was announced. After a little bit of confusion because Barcelona had a weird communication in the, on their English channel, but it was all cleared up. And yes, Dortmund can sign him until 2023 for 23 millions. And yeah, that's just freaking amazing. If if that materializes, which I think should, because why not? I think Paco Alcázar said something along the lines of this is maybe the best moment of his career right now. Um, I don't know if if he was specifically talking about the 4-3 winner. I don't think it was, but rather about the, the streak he is on right now. And um, yeah, it's it's just so interesting to see how the season will continue for Dortmund, considering that players like Alcázar will have a probably much greater impact when they start frequently and, uh, you know, Pulisic then being fit and whatnot. So as we already said on the last episode, Dortmund will most likely only improve going forward. Um, naturally, um, we have to warn a little bit uh, to not get too carried away with that because Dortmund now had a lot of games where results could have also just easily gone the other way. So it's not like um, they are now bound to win every game and, and things can can uh, easily glide away from them. Uh, they are four points ahead in the Bundesliga right now, but uh, four points is not a lot. It's not a big margin, just two weeks, and uh, the entire world can look very differently. Um, but that ha- having, having said that... <laughs> Uh, Bayern Munich completely flopped against uh, Borussia Mönchengladbach, scoring no goals yet again after already being scoreless against Hertha Berlin and uh, being absolutely dominated by Ajax in the Champions League. Um, they uh, yeah lost three to nothing at home, which is quite significant. And if we want to talk about a title race in the Bundesliga, we have to talk about Bayern Munich and. Uh, their ailments. Um, first question to you, Matthias. Do you think that it's helpful for them that there's an international break now, or do you think it's it's uh, even worse because they're going to be hammered by the media and whoever, and there's uh, nothing they can do about it in just two weeks? I think it's probably going to be more a negative. I think uh, the media is just just getting started uh, and rumor mills we already had it you know that oh Zidane should be the manager and Zidane's agent said he's not, not interested in becoming the Bayern manager because he wants to take a sabbatical etc etc so this will not help Kovac who I do not think is a bad manager at all I think he He's inherited a squad that is past its prime age-wise. It's an old squad. It's an old team. Obviously, they have a lot of key injuries that don't help. Uh, and obviously, it's Bayern. So there's a massive amount of arrogance within the squad. And Kovac may not be the level of manager that they think they are worthy of. Um, so, yeah, it it it, hel- it hurts Bayern. It helps everybody else. I also like seeing the fact that Gladbach are up there and that Hertha are actually playing decent football, excluding the Mainz match. Um, so, <laughs> uh, yeah, it's it's great for the Bundesliga when Bayern go through FC Hollywood times. People are already comparing it to the Jürgen Klinsmann year. I don't think it's quite that bad, um, even though Klinsmann is being linked with Stuttgart. <clears throat> um, but uh, it, it's 
it's great to see, not from a schadenfreude standpoint, just because there's a little bit of competition there. It's a shame that the competition happens in the sense of Bayern have to virtually implode for there to be a competition. It would be nice if if teams could just go toe-to-toe with them and try to be, go toe-to-toe with them when they're in their prime. Uh, I think that's probably a little too naive and hopeful from my point of view, but this definitely makes the Bundesliga significantly more interesting. Yeah, it certainly does. And as, as you already said, there are a couple of worrisome uh, things coming out of the Bayern camp. I think first and foremost, the... Uh, Weird story pushed into the media by by James and on out of his camp, and him complaining about the lack of playing time. And then when he plays, he doesn't perform well, and he's playing on the left wing, which isn't his best position. Yada yada yada. So this is something that just it, it's weird because it looks like it it just lacks respect for the coach, as you just said. And um, this is very difficult for Kovac because we saw it last season with Ancelotti that when things are 100% smooth that a coach can quickly lose the dressing room with all these egos in there and um, this time I don't think that your Pankis would come in and and, uh, and and do the whole thing out of retirement again I just don't think that's going to happen so if Bayern try to make a change maybe it's going to be Hasenhüttl or so um, but if it's going to be Hasenhüttl, I don't think it's uh, a playing style um, that Bayern Munich can play because they have so many old players. Ribéry, Robben, Lewandowski, they are all not in there. You know, they're not 22, 23. And if you want to have a high pressing style where you run at your opponent the entire time, that's just not going to happen for them. So I just don't see right now a lot of coaches out there that actually could replace Kovac and do much better. And as you already said, edging squad and uh, also a very thin squad. I think that's a very big difference to Dortmund right now that Dortmund can bring in so much quality from the bench and uh, Bayern, it's not necessarily that right now. Um, Tolisso is injured. Kingsley Coman being injured is, is definitely a huge. Um, Serge Gnabry is, is injury prone and uh, now they have the entire fullback issue where David Alaba has a muscular injury and uh, Rafinha is out injured and Joshua Kimmich is basically their, their only healthy fullback right now. And that's uh, not, a, not a good and positive sign at, at centre-back. Hummel struggles every now and then as he did against Gladbach. Boateng has world-class games, then games where he is uh, also subpar, like against Berlin. So, yeah, they are right now really inconsistent and I would even count in uh, Manuel Neuer there. Um, he had a lapse obviously against Augsburg and overall he just doesn't have that mm, typical aura that to me makes him oftentimes the best keeper in the world that he just, you know, scares opponents just by being Manuel Neuer, I guess. And that's just completely gone. And um, it's striking that Bayern playing against Gladbach having so much possession, I think 70% and, and uh, has completion rate of around 90% or whatever, but yet they didn't create they, yeah, they, they, they just didn't create any good chances um, whatsoever. I think they expect the goals were by 0. I don't know, 7 or so. So if, if we look at, at that, that's just atrocious for Bayern Munich playing at home against a team that uh, is not known for like its very best defending. And you would also assume that Bayern just being them would create something against Gladbach. So 
let's put it this way it's something to keep an eye on <laughs> which i guess we all will but also i i think as you said not from a schadenfreude stand standpoint but in in general it's just so healthy for the bundesliga if there's a tire race it just I, i i really pray that it it lasts until maybe the last match day or so and i don't think that bayern will completely collapse <laughs> I think they will come back from this and and uh, have better games and winning runs again. But uh, still hope that uh, yeah we'll have a competitive Bundesliga this season. Anyway, Matthias, is there anything left you want to say? Um, no, no. I mean, Marco Reus is not going to be playing for Germany, so at least he's not going to get injured on international duty. So that's a positive. Yeah, I guess he... Uh is uh, having uh, knee problems treated in Dortmund. And Roman Bürki also left the uh, Swiss national team today with uh, hip problems after, uh, at least that's what the website said it after he already had uh, these issues in the last couple of Dortmund games. So, um, yeah, a lot of Dortmund players are actually banged up a little. And uh, Michael Sorg, after the Augsburg game, was actually asked whether it would be a curse or a blessing that there is an international break because a you have the momentum but b you also need to recover and he's certainly yep we 100% need the break now we need to have a breather and a lot of players have niggling injuries so um for Dortmund very positive now I guess that they can wait for for two weeks until the next game against Stuttgart which should be also an exciting one because they just fired their coach and I wonder who uh that will be but uh yeah more on that I assume in the next episode so Matthias Thanks again for coming on and uh, yeah, doing this. Uh, I wanted to say quick, but now we're over an hour in this show. So <laughs> thanks for coming on and uh, doing this podcast with me. Um, where can people find you and get in touch with you on the internet? Uh, well, it's always, always fun to talk about der geilste Verein der Welt. Um, and you can find me on Twitter at Matthias Zuck. <laughs> All right, you can find me at Stefan Botsko and uh, read all my stuff on ESPNFC. And um, again, you can predict, even though there's a two-week hiatus, I will still say it, you can predict games now and win a little match day flyer, which when you unfold it will um, have a poster of a Dortmund player uh, from the last game I brought, on, brought home a stack of uh, Akanji posters. So if you... Uh, fancy that uh, just get a prediction right it's not that hard i showed you for example against uh, monaco how it's done and we had a winner there so um yeah just putting this out there obviously you can still support us on patreon.com slash the yellow wall and uh, people that support us with uh, 15 dollars or more get a reward in form of a stadium cup we have uh, marco royce and christian policy on offer there if you like and uh, of course make sure to subscribe to the podcast on itunes stitcher and or soundcloud and most importantly i think the biggest support you can give us because we don't advertise the show anywhere is by simply sharing it in various facebook channels groups or with friends and whatever so please do that and keep doing that and with that until next week thank you for listening